It's going to be the greatest debate in Locked On podcast history. The Vancouver Canucks and the Ottawa Senators. Who's going to win the Stanley Cup first? Find out next. It's the crossover episode, baby. Locked On Canucks and Locked On Senators. Your Locked On Canucks. Your daily podcast on the Vancouver Canucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, my name is Trevor Beggs, co-host of Locked On Canucks, also Canucks writer over at Daily Hive Vancouver. Got a bit of a different episode today, but before I tell you about that, I got to tell you, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. New customers can bet $5 and get up to $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Now, we got a couple friends on the show. Friends, enemies, frenemies? I'm not quite sure yet, but I, I got to introduce my brother from Locked On Canucks first because it's the West Coast bias, baby, okay? Uh, today, we're talking Locked On Canucks, Locked On Sens. Who's winning the cup first between these two sad sack Canadian franchises? And we're going to throw back a bit to West Coast Express versus the pizza line, okay? Some good debates coming up, but I'm throwing it to my brother first, Kyle Bowen. How you doing, buddy? Dude, you made the right call, man. I'm telling you, man, West Coast bias is real. We got to have it more, okay? Uh, so much of that East Coast bias across the league, and uh, I'm excited that uh, we get to rep, uh, again, the quote, West Coast bias for years to come. Uh, on that note, let, let's be nice for like a minute, a minute or two, because we got the Locked On Senators, boys. I'll let them introduce themselves. These two, man, uh, you guys are leaders, man, for real. Kind guys. Uh, again, I'm only going to be nice for like 30 seconds. Really appreciate what you guys have done for us. Uh, I know it might not sound like a lot, because, you know, we only had a couple conversations, but when we first got here, you guys reached out, gave us a lot of advice, and you guys didn't have to do that. You guys didn't have to do that, for real. So I really appreciate that. Anyways, take the floor uh, before, you know, we get into a heated argument, for real. I'm about to I'm about to bring out the big guns, you know what I'm saying? Let's Uh-oh. go. I got the Kyle Bowen hat rock going <laughs> hey. on. We're, we're rocking and rolling. Um, I'm Ross Levitan. You can find me over Locked On Centers alongside my guy, Pillsy, Brandon Piller, and no, that's just what we do here. Not only are we locked on NHL, fellas, it's locked on Canada. We got to take care of our own up here in the Great White North. So hey. anything we can do to help. And you're right, Trevor. These are two sad franchises over the last decade. But we're going to reminisce about the good old days back when both our teams made it to the cup final where they lost. Very different fashion the way they lost in the cup yeah. final. But uh, no, excited to be here. It's going to be a great debate. And just the beginning, because obviously the two head-to-head games this season, you know we're going to have to get some locked-on crossover action going. So happy to be here, fellas, and looking forward to a great show. There we go. And let's let's start with the big question off the top before we kind of break down the rosters and then uh, go back in the time machine here. But it is a big question, okay? Who is going to win the cup first between the Vancouver Canucks and Ottawa Senators now? Every day there's no unlocked on Canucks. Kyle touched on this on a solo episode by himself. And basically, like, the Locked On Sens fans, you guys you guys got quite the fan base because they were coming after our commenters, Citizens. basically saying that Ottawa is winning the Cup first. Though. It's not a debate. Respectfully, though. <laughs> Respectfully, yeah. Well, I think we were just so caught up in the fact that the Canuck fans weren't really going to bat for our team because I think this is a close debate between who's going to win the Cup first, the Sens or the Canucks. I'm going to throw it to one of you boys first. Who's winning the Cup first? Well, I'll, I'll take this one. And look, I know you guys... Uh, like every other fan base in the league, everybody has their laughs. All oh, the Sens are paying their guys right out of their entry-level contracts. 
way too much money to be paying Jake Sanderson, too much money for Tim Stutzla. Sense fans don't care about that at all. So you guys can talk all that crap all you want. We are happy. We are overjoyed to have our guys locked down for a long time because, look, maybe the Sens don't win the Cup this year. Maybe they don't even win it next year. But then they can try the year after that, the year after that, the year after that, the year after that, and not a math guy, I forget how many I've counted that, but probably a couple more years after that because they got this court locked down. And when you have a guy like Brady Kachuk leading this team, everybody falls in line and he's the face of this franchise. He brings everybody into the fight with them. And probably the best example of how good of a leader Brady Kachuk is, is Claude Giroux was a longtime captain in Philly one of the most respected guys around the entire league. And he came in and he saw what Brady was doing. And he was like, yeah, this, this is the right guy for the job. And he, he kind of, you know, as a veteran, he helps mentor Brady, but he's more than willing to take, let Brady take this team over and take the reins. And I just think to wrap up, uh, to get back to your uh, question, Trevor is, I just think that having this core locked in and everybody's so committed, like Jake Sanderson didn't have to sign a long-term deal. Timmy didn't have to sign a long-term deal. They could have gone bridge, waited for that cap to go up, the new TV deal to come, and they could have cashed in big. But they said, this is where we want to be. We believe in the culture and we want to be here. So I just think that commitment from all your cornerstone franchise guys, it's going to lead to success eventually. And can't wait for that to happen. Yeah, and I think what's cool too is Sanderson's deal doesn't even kick in this year. It doesn't kick in until yeah. next year, so he's still on entry level. So these guys are buying in right away. And shout out to Tim Stutzel's mom because Ian Mendez from The Athletic just did a piece, and apparently his mom's like, how much money do you need? Like, do you want to win? Like, take take whatever they're offering here, and and if you believe in the team, go for it. So uh, a far cry from Paul Marner, who is get, like, get every penny you can. Yeah. Every penny you can. So I, I just think that everyone's kind of buying in. And yeah, people can say they're overpaid. But if you look, it's like 8.35 for Timmy, 8.2 for Brady, 8 on the dot for Sanderson, and a penny less for Josh Norris and Shabbat at $8 million too. So everyone's just kind of falling right in line. Now, are, are, is that kind of elevating the floor too much? Maybe. But it's kind of cool that they're all locked in at such a similar annual average. I feel like that's good for the power dynamic as it goes forward. It'll feel more like a group. No. So, so, so what? So go, no, go, go ahead. Go, go, ahead, go ahead. No, no. Go ahead, Trevor. Go, go in. Go in. I, I just want to hammer down. I mean, you guys are talking all this rosy game about the Senators, but yep. is this core good enough to win a cup? Are they going to win a cup before the Canucks? You guys kind of beat around the question there. Are you scared about the truth? No, Pillsy did. Now, I would say that this year is going to be a huge deciding factor. I'm sure you guys yeah. have covered it on your show over and over again. It's like, is Elias Pettersson staying long term or not? And then if he doesn't. Then, uh, then I think it's an easy answer in terms of a comparison. But if he stays, like, I'm not afraid to say, and, and it's not like it's a hot take, the best player, if you combine the two rosters, is Elias Patterson. It it's, might not even be that close right now either. He's a, he's a freak, man, the way he can play at both ends of the ice. So I think that that's the huge X factor in all this. And everyone else, I think it's a pretty pretty even debate beyond that. But right now, like, yeah, you don't want me sitting on the fence. I'm staying on my side. I got my Roman Centurion uh, armor on. I'm ready to fight. Like, let's go. I got I got the Senators here. Not not make not making noise this year. I think we've set uh, collectively as as our show make the playoffs and make it difficult on the opposition. Don't roll over and die in the first round. Uh, make it a six seven game series at best, and then take that momentum from there. But 
Uh, I'm not betting against this team when they make the playoffs because they built they build the team. Yeah, they got analytics now. Uh, they're like the last team to get a full-time analytics guy. But uh, they build big boy hockey, and that's where in the playoffs it comes. I mean, it starts with Brady Kachuk, but it, it goes beyond that. That they're, they're built for playoff hockey. It's just a matter of getting past November first. Yeah. <laughs> no, 100%. And uh, on that note of playoff hockey, I think there's uh... – uh, like there's a lot of irrationality on this side when it comes to the Locked On Canucks po- podcast network and what we talk about, but I think a lot of that is based off of not just the top end talent in Quinn Hughes, but and Elias Pettersson, but also because we saw what they did in the bubble playoffs. Now, it, maybe there's like a bit of an asterisk uh, beside the bubble playoffs, but those guys competed right away and they were the best players in in the series that they played in, pretty much, pretty much. And another guy who was one of the best players in that series too, when the games really mattered, was Thatcher Demko. And you guys don't have a guy like that. You guys also may not have a guy like Quinn Hughes. And I know, I know, you guys have Sanderson and Shabbat. There's a lot of depth there. But I think the East Coast, for real, we saw it in that athletic article. Uh, Pedersen, he's a sexy player. You can kind of watch him play and kind of get a good grip of who he is. But I don't think the league really knows how good Quinn Hughes is. And I think that's why there is this chance And within the next three years, if everything goes right. Again, Rutherford has, has just said that yesterday. And we've been saying that. The whole time, if everything goes right. And Begsy and I, we're getting older. We're getting older. This guy's a father of two. I'm just turned 30 years old. Uh, can can they just can they just do this? Can everything go right within the next couple of years while we're still a little bit young and we can still party at the bars and do this? Yes, we're putting that out there. And I think because of Quinn Hughes and then Pedersen and Demko, if he does, you know, fulfill his potential, there's that recipe where you have a center, a defenseman, who arguably – our top five, top seven in their position. Then you got the kicker and Demko, who at his best, we saw it against Vegas. We've seen it in spurts throughout his career after. He's an elite goaltender, and he yeah. might be the X factor for the Vancouver Canucks. How, how confident are you guys in Corpus Salo? Slash, I know what we just saw with Vegas and some other teams across the league. Like, are you guys on that boat where you don't feel as if you guys need an elite goaltender? Well, look good, feel good, play good. I don't know if you guys saw. If not, check it out on Twitter at Send Central. Eunice Corpusalo's helmet this year might be the best in franchise history. So I'm dialed in. For that. When you say we don't have someone like Thatcher Demko, you mean a 901 save percentage last year? 901 save percentage? That's the Mason Dixon line, right? 200 hitter in Major League Baseball. You're looking at, but uh, no. In all seriousness, I think Corpusalo. We're we're hoping that that hip surgery did him wonders because he had it before last season and then had the best year of his career split between the worst team defensively in Columbus and one of the best teams in Los Angeles. So he showed that whether he was on a good team or a bad team, he was solid. And then Pilsy, I'll let you go off on Anton Forsberg. Cause you've been, you've been banging that drum for years. Yeah. I'm a big Forsberg guy. What, what I'll say is different is you guys have a traditional number one guy in Thatcher Demko. And then now you got your guy, Casey as a <laughs> traditional backup, right? So you've Ooh. got that number one, number two but a lot of the teams that have been having success lately the tandem style goaltending has really gained a lot of momentum around the league and the ottawa senators have a 1a and a 1b i think corpusalo he's not your bona fide top starter guy but he can be a good 1a same with forsberg he's not a top starter guy but he can be, be a good 1b and i think if they split time they can have success. These guys already have a relationship together. They won a Calder Cup back in the Columbus organization as a member of the Cleveland Monsters. So they kind of know each other's rapport and they get along. They have good chemistry. So there's not going to be any awkward dynamics there in the crease. And 
I'm a little hesitant about Corpusello. I'll be honest. Uh, the five-year deal for a free agent goalie is a risk, but man, the Senators have struck out on their goalies the last couple tries. So to bring in a guy that is coming off a good season on on a bad team, and then even got to experience playoffs with the LA Kings after the trade deadline, I think it's going to bring some good positive vibes in. And I really think that this is a tandem that can work. And Look, they don't have to be the best goalies in the league because I think the top six that the Sens have is so offensively uh, powerful that maybe they can just outscore all the problems if they have to. <laughs> yeah, you, you talked about that deal, uh, the Corpus Allo deal. You know, to me, you know, Corpus Allo had a nice little season last year, uh, but I thought it was one of the most questionable deals in free agency with just as weird as goaltending is, signing that guy to a five-year deal worth uh, $20 million. You know, in Vancouver here, we would have preferred the four-year deal for $20 million, get a little 420 action in there. But anyways, nice. I digress. Um, I, but, you know, with you guys, you got Pierre Dorian in charge, who's made, you know, a number of questionable decisions. So on the other side, I do want to get a bit more into the construction of these rosters and the cores you guys talked about as well. But before I do that, I got to say, and I, I, I tell the viewers, I tell the listeners, Kyle and I, we're getting older, grumpier, crustier. That's why we need to rock the bird dogs, okay? Brandon and Ross, I don't know about you guys. You guys are a couple sharp-looking dudes. But for us, oh, see, Ross, you are getting older, so you do got to rock that bird dogs, you know, for the video listeners. Trevor, I was in Manhattan last weekend, and I got to see a bird dog storefront. The first time I've actually seen it live and in the flesh. It was just as beautiful as you would have imagined. <laughs> Holy man, that's uh, that, that's where that's where the ladies and men flock. I mean, come on, man. I gotta tell you, like, I, you know, shout out to Bird Dogs. They, they send us stuff here, sponsors of the show, and I always want to leave the house rocking my Bird Dogs gear, but my wife won't let me because I look too damn good, man. Okay, you know, with those shorts, the track pants are so smooth, so sexy, and they got the built-in boxers. What's not to love about them? Okay, the if you want to go? Oh, the joggers are unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. I'm telling you, if you wanna if you wanna go from a five and a half to a ten, you gotta rock the bird dogs. And I'm talking about both in comfort and looks, baby. So make sure you go to birddogs.com slash locked on NHL or enter promo code locked on NHL at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NHL for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. The four of us promise you. People, people, before we get back to the show, baby, I got to tell you that new episodes of Locked On Canucks will be available wherever you stream podcasts and on YouTube at 4.20 p.m. for no reason at all, okay? New episodes every day at 4.20 p.m. Again, wherever you stream podcasts and on YouTube. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Segment two, Locked On Senators, Locked On Canucks here discussing the roster construction if you've missed segment one if you're watching this on locked on centers go check it out locked on canucks make sure you smash the subscribe button there as well now trevor led into this segment talking about questionable decisions by pierre dorian we know none more questionable than coming on locked on centers not once not twice but three times we expect (laughs) him back as well but man there is no gm more active than Pierre Dorian. He's had some swing and a miss right in the dirt, and he's had some absolute home runs. Sometimes the home runs are with his eyes closed because Martin Jones decides to have an 896 save percentage, and San Jose drops third overall. Tim Stutzel in the Eric Carlson trade. That worked out just fine. But before we get to Pierre Dorian, I want to discuss the Vancouver Canucks, who have gone through a transitional phase with their management, with their coaching over the last few years. Like, where, how far back do you guys want to go? Like, I know you want to forget <laughs> the Jim Benning era, but like, 
How long do you think it's realistically taken for Jim Rutherford and company, Patrick Alvin, to put their own stamp on this roster? I would yeah, say, I mean, so go ahead. Uh, yeah, I would say like pretty much the middle of last year. It kind of like started coming together. Now, with that being said, I know they signed Mikheyev back in July a couple summers ago, but again, it just kind of felt as if the middle of last year they kind of put it put these pieces together. And if you look at how many changes they've actually made to the actual construction of the team too. Now a lot of those players are on short, short-term deals. I think it's just exciting to see how they've gotten rid of a lot of the players who are kind of holding this team back and not making things easier for those top-end guys. And that's why I, alongside a lot of people, are just curious and excited to see how this team transitions from being, you know, a bottom team when it comes to defensive hockey to maybe like to the 20th or like the 18th or the 16th or top 16 in the league and how much that can do for somebody like Thatcher Demko, who again is the biggest X factor on this team who's probably one of the most important players to any team individually across the league. And yeah, just, I know there's a lot more work to do work to do. I know Rutherford did allude to the fact how there's still one or two contracts that he still wants to get rid of, but it really did start in the middle of last year. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, you know, this management regime has now been in place for a little over 18 months. Right. And I think there's probably two, maybe three problem contracts left, right? You got Tyler Myers uh, and that one year deal. You guys don't want Tyler Myers, by the way, you guys took Hamannick. You guys seem like our defenseman. You guys, man, the Sens were rumored uh, with Tyler Myers for longer than I was comfortable with. I'll I'll say that. (laughs) Uh, Solid top four pairing defenseman. If you're uh, trying to draft first overall, um, so, you know, Tyler Myers, Tucker Pullman on LTIR are probably not going to play again. And then you probably have one too many expensive winger contracts. Connor Garland's the one that they inherited. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there's they're pretty close to cleaning up this mess. I think you do want to get rid of Myers and probably another winger contract and continue to bolster the defense. Uh, probably ideally you want maybe a more polished, better third-line center than like a P.U. Suter or a Teddy Bluger. Uh, but the Stamps are on this team, and I think Jordan Rutherford said it, for better or for worse, that if everything goes right, the Canucks are going to make the playoffs. And some people love that quote, including Kyle. I just I also feel like 32 other general managers would say that, and I feel like Perry Dorian might have said that, maybe on your guys' show. Hey, he's been saying that for years, and now he's, <laughs> now he's been, you know, twice bitten at this point. I was going to say once bitten, twice shy, but he's been bitten more than once here. I think the, the most notable one is this one here. We're a team. We're a team. When he was asked what he was excited about uh, in terms of his 2019, <laughs> obviously that didn't work out. And then he said the rebuild's over. But now, I mean, the rebuild is over at this point. You go out and you you add players. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're Alex Debrinkit and they want to go home. So I think that in that position, mm-hmm. he did the best he could. But with the Vancouver Canucks, I want to continue on kind of like the roster construction there. And it looks like in day one training camp, lots can change. But Hoglander. If I'm pronouncing that right, like, like, is he an X factor here too, or is he easily replaceable? Because he's getting reps with Kuzmenko and Pedersen right now, day one training camp. Oh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's an X factor. I think, like, again, the East—they're not staying up to watch Canuck games, and, and I, I can get why people may look at that and be like, "Really, Hoaglander, a guy who's in the AHL, he's going to be your top liner, and these are the guys who think they're going to win a cup before the the Ottawa Senators." Really, like, I don't see that happening. I think. Uh, Tockett just wants to see everything. He has noted that he wants guys like Pot Colton and Hoaglander to play a bit more reckless, and maybe they can be more themselves if they have a confident start in training camp slash play with the best players. I'm not really digging too deep into that. Now, also, Mikheyev 
didn't show up in day one, not because of injury, but because of personal reasons. I wonder if that would have uh, shuffled things initially right. in training camp. Tell, tell our listeners then who aren't staying up that late, like this Kuzmenko kid, because Sens fans oh. wanted him too, and they were rumored to be in the mix when uh, when that was all going down. He's the real deal, eh? Yeah, and you know what? It probably just came down to Vancouver being a nicer city than Ottawa. No offense. <laughs> my wife's from Ottawa, but uh, Vancouver's pretty sweet, man. It's pretty it sweet. It is pretty nice. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I think again, I you know, I heard there was you know twenty five teams after Kuzmenko. I'm sure there was probably thirty two teams after him, right? But you know, I, I think it came down to him really liking the city, the shop beside Elias Pettersson, who, as we've discussed on this show, is the best player on either of our teams. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, pa- Patrick Alvin had been scouting him for years, so there's kind of a relationship there as well. Um, I do want to see it again from Kuzmenko. I mean, you know, 39 goals as a rookie who was reportedly a bit out of shape, according to a lot of reports. Um, so he's got the pure skill, but maybe uh, there's another gear there if he can get in better shape. But he also had a 27% shooting percentage last season, uh, which is almost which is fairly unsustainable. Uh, but as Kyle's mentioned on our show, the everydayers, they know this. Uh, he didn't shoot the puck a lot last year. So there's a world where his shooting percentage goes down, but he still ends up scoring more goals um, just because he's going to shoot the puck more, potentially. Now, one thing I will say is uh, if Kuzmenko went to Ottawa instead of Vancouver, he wouldn't have to worry about getting hassled at the pumpkin patch, though. <laughs> or was that? No, it was JT Miller. Yeah, but <laughs> how is JT Miller doing many pumpkin patch excursions or he, he stays away from those now? Those are hostile environments. <laughs> well, he did say uh, there was a post on Canucks Twitter today about, you know, what, what uh, the Canucks want to be when they grow up. And JT Miller said he wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. And I think the key word was stay-at-home. So, <laughs> <your> <laughs> That's hilarious. No, J- JT Miller is uh, one of those, like, big X factors for the Vancouver Canucks, too. Yeah. And I think the league kind of knows who he is and what he can do. I, again, one of the – like, I guarantee this guy's on, like, the top 20, top 25 as far as point goers go in the last four years. He's put up a lot of points, um, but there's a lot of hope coming from this side, this studio. Again, Kyle Bound just thinking that JT Miller can get back to being a 90-point guy, at least in the first couple of years of this new extension. And that's why, again, I'm optimistic. Like, if everything goes right, Rutherford, man, we're putting that on a shirt. If everything goes right, if Pedersen is, you know, playing at an MVP form, like he's kind of did last year, but the team didn't make the playoffs. If Hughes is a Norris nominee, if Demko is a Vezna nominee, a lot of things going on here, but then if, Miller also is the best second line center in hockey. That's just like a different recipe. It's obscure. Maybe they're not as deep as other teams, but the top end talent on this team, if they do reach their potential, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's again, going from zero to a hundred isn't nearly impossible in the world of sports, but again, maybe it's because of that 420 magic that we're kind of thinking that it is possible over here. I, I want to ask you guys a question. Like how come, like how come you guys have been so patient with Dorian? And was there any point over the last like three years where you guys were overly frustrated? Because on this side, when betting kept getting extended and kept getting chances, like, dude, it, t- it turned a lot of people off. It frustrated people like to another level. Did it ever get to that point with Dorian? And I think lot, there, there's definitely, there's always a portion of every fan base that just wants to fire everybody all the time. And only one team gets to be happy at the end of the season. But I think in Ottawa, and, and I'm going to let Pilsy kind of elaborate on this. I think it's more everyone's kind of pointing at the coach versus the, uh, the general manager, at least right now. Yeah. Well, the thing with Ottawa is when you have a, an owner that isn't exactly uh, popular, popular. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Uh, there was billboards all over Ottawa, hashtag Melnick out. People spent good money advertising to try to get the owner out of town. It makes things difficult. Uh, guys don't really want to stay around. It's a trickle down effect, right? So, and 
look, people can say what they want about Pierre Dorian, but if your owner's telling you, hey, you can't do this, I won't let you do this, you can't spend this, the guy's hands are tied, right? There's only so mm-hmm. much he can do, unfortunately. Whereas now, it's a new era. Michael Anlauer comes in as the new owner. The Sens are spending to the cap. They've got guys willing to commit right off their entry-level deals. they got free agents coming in and signing long-term contracts when they have interest elsewhere. And it's just, it's a whole different vibe mm-hmm. now. And I think fans are willing to kind of, or at least I'll speak for myself, willing to let go of this six years of pain and rebuilding and frustration because now the path is clear. Like before the path wasn't clear. That was the issue. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, are we just going to rebuild forever? And then as soon as these guys are UFAs, they're going to leave. Like, what's the point of that? Like all, all Sens fans, favorite players were getting shipped out of town and, that makes it tough to stick around as a mm-hmm. fan. And I think now we're at a point where the owner is set. It's trickling down. He's adding different departments. Like Ross said, finally, the Sens have an analytical department. More people are coming back into the system. Sens alumni want to uh, work with the team and stick around. And it's just a whole different era now. And now will that lead to success on the ice? We hope so. And it looks like this team has the most competitive roster they've had in, I don't know, maybe over a decade at least at least up to the 2017 season when they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But the optimism is here, and Sens fans are, they still, I don't think anyone's really on the fire DJ, fire Dorian train anymore, but those guys have a short leash now, now that there's a new owner in that wants to put his stamp on things. Every week we have a guest on the show, a fan of the show, and last week's Avi, he, he said that, I said, how long is the leash for the head coach? He says, we're holding his hand. Like, there's no leash. Like, you're holding hands and you can just let go at any at any moment because the Sens mm-hmm. are going over to Sweden in November. They have a cupcake schedule. They play 14 out of their first 18 games at home before they go overseas. Yeah. And if they're not a well above 500 team, then, like you guys said, if all goes right, you're putting that on the T-shirt. Mm-hmm. We're putting no excuses on the T-shirt because mm-hmm. there really isn't. You've made the trades. You've used your draft picks. You spent signed the money. Contracts, like you yeah. spent the money. Like there's no excuses. This team, the best record they've had in their first 20 games is eight wins in the last five years. Like they mm-hmm. have 12 or better in their first 20. Like November has just sewered this team, and it, it really just can't happen again. And I think that, yeah, like like Kyle's kind of alluding to, from the outside looking in, you're like, wow, so patient, so patient. Mm-hmm. That patient is wearing thin, but right now it's being clout or like shadowed or, or covered with optimism, but it could quickly, like a couple blown leads late in games, or even if they just play dump and chase, everybody's sick of watching dump and chase hockey. I think fans are going to turn on this team pretty quickly, but right now, man, we got our heads in the clouds. It's all good. Baby sends are winning the cup. Hey, now that, that, that that's okay. All quote unquote hate aside, you know, this debate, who's going to win the cup first, blah, blah, blah. I got, I got, like more questions about the makeup of your team, just based on okay. like how they were able to form uh, this sort of leadership group through again, the scrutiny and through bad hockey and through not making the playoffs. And that's kind of interesting. So you guys mentioned Brady Kachuk off the top. I, I have trouble saying Tim Sutzla's name. Just say it like this. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Tim? Tim. Superstar. Superstar. Tim Superstar, Jake Sanderson and company, they're signing long-term. And I saw that interview with uh, Tim Superstar with Elliot Friedman, and that dude's just a gamer. You can tell. Oh, yeah. You can just tell he's a gamer. And yeah. he kind of reminds me of Pedersen, not going to lie, the way yeah. the way he talks and carries himself. And using the word dominance, it's like the, again, it's in the dictionary. It's been around for a long time, but that's a confident word to you. So when did you – like, did you guys ever think that this was possible, even through the losing? And 
when did you guys notice that like yo Kachuk could rally the troops? Like he's you that should, guy. You should have seen the hate online when they drafted Brady Kachuk. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hilarious going back to that tweet and reading the replies. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's unreal. Yeah, he had eight goals his freshman year at Boston University, and everyone's yeah. like, this the this the savior? We're at rock bottom. Now, the most interesting part of all that is they had traded that first round pick in the Matt Duchesne trade, yeah. really the beginning of the end of any su- success. They traded for Matt Duchesne. Then they went over to Sweden, won both games against Matt Duchesne's Colorado Avalanche, and then they came back and lost 20 of their next 22 games. And it was just all pain since then. But from that moment, that was a top five protected pick or top 10, whatever it was. And the big debate was, do you give up this pick top fourth overall, knowing you're going to be even worse next year and have a chance to be the first overall pick? And Ottawa said, no, we know we got our guy here. They gave up what ended up being identical fourth overall pick, Bowen Byram, the next year. But you're like, okay, you get Brady Kachuk. That's a cornerstone piece. He plays with Mark Stone the first year, lives with him, Mm. learns from him, all that. And Um. it turned out to be the right decision. Obviously, then you get lucky. Like, they don't have a first-round pick in 2019, fourth overall. But then because of the Carlson trade and San Jose just plummeting, they end up getting third overall in 2020 and fifth overall. So that was probably the part. And now that I think about it in the Dorian trajectory, like right when it was about to hit rock bottom with him, it's like, wait, COVID and you get two top five picks in a deep draft that I feel like earned him a lot of extra mm-hmm. role that maybe did he deserve it or not. But I feel like that's where the story begins of the rebuild. Hey eh, pills. Yeah. I mean that those two picks were the make or break, whether this team was going to stop digging and get out mm-hmm. of the rebuild, or if they miss on those picks, you're still digging and you're, you're still trying to find rock bottom. So yeah. thank God they went with Timmy and Jake Sanderson over you know, obviously Byfield wasn't there, but Byfield or as some of those other guys that were in that area. And mm-hmm. yeah, same with Sanderson. A lot of people thought that was a reach, but nobody thinks that anymore. Well, he's sick. You just have to watch him play. He's like very mm-hmm. like, confused. You just see him on the highlights, right? Like, okay, yeah. I see why he's so good. But with Jake Sanderson, it's so like, it's more of like the a little Jake dominance where it's just yeah. kind of like, maybe, maybe he doesn't have three points at the end of the night, but you're like, okay, when he was on the ice, the team had like 20 more shots than they gave up. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, he's dominant. But yeah, they, they kind of swung and missed. It, it seems at least right now in 2021 at 10th overall, but a lot of questions, like there was a, a legit top nine in that draft and it sucked. They were on the outside looking in there. Tyler Boucher just hasn't been able to stay healthy, but he plays that piss and vinegar game where if he can be healthy and play in the playoffs, you like kind of the makeup of the type of player, but yeah, th- it's been a long winding road of the rebuild and, it just feels like now it's like you go to the Jersey store and you're like, okay, I know these guys are all going to be around. But the moment where I think really flipped everything is Claude Giroux coming here. And he, him mm-hmm. with his respect around the league, putting his stamp of approval, being like, hey, I haven't won a cup yet. I want to do that in my career. I'm 34 years old, but I believe. And he said it in his introduction. He goes, I don't know when it's going to be, whether it's this year, next. He signed a three-year deal, but let's be honest. He's not moving his young family again unless mm-hmm. – really goes wrong he'll be a senator for life we hope like a joe pavelski type where he just continues to put up points but when he put his stamp of approval on this it really felt like things were going in the right direction they had a 13 point improvement year over year into last and now it's like okay there's one step but it doesn't get any easier it only gets harder so I'm, I'm curious to see there's a cautious optimism around the team right now but i have no clue how they're going to come out of the gate yeah, I think cautious optimism is really the sentiment in both of our markets. And 
you know, I think before we wrap up here, I, I do want to know from you guys more about the Sens and their playoff picture. But before I get into that, you, you guys talked a bit about Brady Kachuk and, and, you know, the hate that the Senators got for drafting them fourth overall. Well, I think the funny thing about that is this is a draft that worked out pretty well for both teams because the Ottawa Senators passed on a guy called Quinn Hughes who well, fell three spots later and went seventh overall. So uh, maybe it's a twofold question here. Like we talk about the big three and I don't really want to throw goaltending into it um, just because I think, you know, that really slants it in the Canucks' favor. Um, but kind of looking at Brady Kachuk versus Quinn Hughes, uh, between the two, who, those two guys, who would you rather have? And then maybe go into the big three. I kind of had Pedersen, Miller, Hughes versus uh, Stutzla, Kachuk, and Sanderson. Uh, maybe I'll let you guys answer that between uh, either of those two questions. Well, let's be clear. They didn't pass on Quinn Hughes because they got hey. Kachuk. They got their captain, their dog. And I know Quinn's now the captain following yeah. his footsteps. He's got Brady on speed dial. How do I do this, Brady? successful <laughs> <laughs> doing this, you know? Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I think we got to look at Arizona taking Barrett Hayton at fifth overall. <laughs> yeah. and, and then Detroit taking Philip Zadina. When Quinn Hughes <laughs> went to school down the street. Thank that- you very much. That's who passed on Quinn Hughes. The Sens got their guy from the uh, the Boston University Terriers there. But, man, you, the three guys you mentioned for Ottawa right there, they're 24, 21, and 20 years old right now. Or actually, Jake just turned 21 as well. And they're all top five picks, right? Timmy went third, Brady fourth, and Sanderson went fifth. So I think that for them, they're still kind of finding their way, right? Whereas Patterson, we, we know this guy's a superstar. And you look at it, and our friends at FanDuel, I checked it out right when you did that ad read right off the top, man. Plus 126 for Patterson to get 100 points. Like, I'm going to be all over that this year. I think he hits it. And for, for the Canucks listeners out there, fellas, Tim Stutzla had 39 goals last year as a 20, 21-year-old. He's plus 450 to get 40 goals this year. Plus 450. I mean, they're just giving it away at FanDuel. (laughs) I know it's a roundabout way. I got my guys just because we don't know what the ceiling is. I'd probably say that in order, Mm. like, like JT Miller to me is like the X factor in all this where it's like, is he giving up as much the other way as he's scoring offensively? Like that's, that's where it's like, is he going to be a hundred percent or is he going to be chirping my goalie half the game, telling him to get off the ice on a delayed penalty? Like that's where I, I, I don't know what I'm getting in the room with JT Miller. Whereas I know that all three of the guys in Ottawa have the same common goal and it's just to, to win. And they haven't achieved that yet, which is why I see a valid argument for the other side. Not that they've done much in the playoffs either, but um, I do think it's a very fun and interesting debate. And man, I'm a Quentin Hughes super fan too. Like if mm-hmm. I'm a team, man, he's on it for sure. So uh, that's a roundabout way of saying I got my guys, but I can definitely see, you know, both sides uh, having a pretty solid argument here. Pills, are you going to be stronger than that? No, I mean, if you're looking at Brady versus Quinn Hughes, obviously classic bias, I- I'm going to take Brady, but only-, only because I just think it's the intangibles that Brady brings that you can't find in any other player. Now, sure, Quinn Hughes has uh, skills that are very hard to find as well. He's the number one uh, defenseman on the team. He's one of the best offensive defensemen in the entire league. I'm definitely willing to give my props and sick taps to Quinn Hughes. But the thing is with Brady, like you've got a guy that scores 30 plus goals, plays hard, fights is a leader. He has that hockey pedigree, the Kachuk family. I mean, I'm talking about the Hughes Hughes family is obviously mm-hmm. massive these days as well, but he's got his dad, Walt and Matthew Kachuk, like just some legendary hockey style families right here. And mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, Ross, what's up? I got, I got a fun stat for you that, uh, that I found on Twitter the other day. It's so funny. 
most points from a player this season that had also 240 hits. Luke Shen had 22. Garnet Hathaway had 22. Nolachari had 23. Jack McBain had 26. Oh, yeah, and then Brady Kachuk had 83. Like, them. there's two players in the That's league the that had more than 80 points and more than 100 penalty minutes. Uh, Matthew and Brady Kachuk, like, they're just unicorns. Like, you just can't, yeah, guys like that. Yeah. And that's, why I think, the uniqueness. Like, there, there's 10 Tim Stutzlers, there's you know, maybe five Elias Pattersons, but he's just a unicorn out there. Yeah. It, it's crazy. And he's 6'4, he's 225. He'll fight anybody. Dude, he's 19 years old fighting Shea Weber. Like, what, like. He's almost like ignorant at how mm-hmm. how he does his thing. He fights Blake Wheeler. He also fights bums, which he needs to stop doing. Like <laughs> he doesn't need to be. Who did he fight last? Jared Tenorti. Like you Tenorti, can't be yeah. fighting. No disrespect to Jared Tenorti. I know he, his family listens to Locked On Canucks. They have, <laughs> but he can't be fighting these guys anymore. Yeah, he's fighting John Marino. That's where he needs to clean it up. But otherwise, like he's just a unicorn out there. Pelzi, sorry to cut you off. I know you're you're on a roll there. No, I mean, that that's basically what I was getting at is I just think that it's so hard to find someone with the combination of skills that Brady Kachuk has that, uh, like, there's not a lot of players I'm taking over Brady Kachuk, honestly. No, and you guys brought up the whole unicorn thing. And again, the Canucks don't win games, so it's kind of, it's kind of a waste of time to be watching them at 10 p.m., but there's this uh, sentiment over here that Pedersen is a unicorn, and we, we still haven't seen the best of him yet because we're about to see – like Trevor was looking at the stats, right? There hasn't been a lot of guys. I think there might be only one. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But he's, he's going to be like a 100-point guy who's going to win a Selkie. Like, I see that in him. And yeah. that's a unicorn. Definitely. That's, like, offensively dominant and defensively dominant. That's that's someone you need in the playoffs, you know? And then Quinn Hughes, there's a different level to his defensive game, and he's been getting better and better. And I think his competitive nature, you guys see it from Brady Kachuk, too. These guys want to get better. And then Trevor Beggs, I'll let him take it from here he sees a different level in his offensive game as well, which could also make him a unicorn. Also, it just, there's, there's like the top end talent on both these teams. It's globally unseen yet because of the lack of wins and attention that comes from not winning. It's just not there, you know, but again, these teams just have those types of players. That makes us, makes us think, you know, if everything goes right, if everything goes, we're a team. <laughs> we are a team, man. Hey, any chance we could like take the best players from the Canucks, best players from the Senders, and just like Be bully them? Like, let's go for it, fellas. <laughs> the Van, the Vanita Kennedys. There we go. There, yeah, <laughs> that, that rolls off the tongue nicely. <laughs> Wait a second, that was a shot there. Hey, eh? we were still playing out in Canada. We're gonna take an hour to get there for the home opener. <laughs> One game start. I gotta set my alarm at six thirty. Yeah, I, I I drive by I drive by Canadian Tire Senator in beautiful Canada on my way to uh, Carlton Place, Ontario. Every time I'm out there visiting you guys, so make sure you stop at the car dealership next door, and then next door to that, and next door to that. That's all there is out there. It's unreal. Yeah, I, oh, don't don't forget the uh, the Tanger, the Tanger outlets, man. Oh yeah, shout out to the Tanger outlets. Gotta have you gotta have a, a nice full wallet when you go in there. But hey, I think we got to make a pitch there to both our fan bases to be following along, man. Get the early game. Hey, if you're out vancouver beautiful day you get mm-hmm. home maybe the rain starts coming in and you go in four o'clock get your sends fix and then roll right in i mean the two captains are best friends mm-hmm. they're yeah. watching each other's games so i think we need to make sure that we're sending everyone over at locked on canucks locked on senators and get this ship to the moon hey they only play twice a year so that's 80 other games that you can be rocking for the uh for the other one air support we're as you guys love to say 
we're all Canucks. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. And I will say out here on the West Coast, there's a lot of hate for Toronto. I'm on board with that. A lot of hate for Montreal. Not so much on board with that, but I get it. And then Ottawa, I don't think there's much hate for Ottawa at all. So I think, you know, Canuck fans out here want that four o'clock game. Ottawa is a pretty exciting team to watch. And you got Kachuk and Quinn Hughes, like best friends, man. Uh, I'm taking Quinn Hughes over Brady Kachuk, but uh, that's just me. You know, when you guys were talking about Brady Kachuk there, he did remind me of another old uh, Vancouver Canuck. And I think you know who I'm talking about in oh, yeah. Todd Bertuzzi. So I think this is a good segue, good way to end off the show. Uh, debating between West Coast Express versus the pizza line on the final segment here of the crossover episode of Locked On Canucks and Locked On Sens. But make sure you go subscribe to the Locked On Senators channel or the Locked On Canucks channel. You know, I mean, here at Locked On Canucks, kind of I've been doing this for about five months now. But uh, the Locked On Sens boys, Ross Brandon there, you guys are setting the standard here at Locked On, okay? so uh, Five years, yeah. first five months. Boy, this year five, <laughs> fellas. <laughs> The, ex- the experience shows, man. We'll see how much it shows on the other side here in the final segment of the crossover episode, baby. People, here's the truth. In life, you have to keep it organic so you don't panic. And on that note, I got to tell you that we forgot to introduce the segment, okay? We just got straight into the conversation about two of the best lines of the mid-2000s, the West Coast Express and the pizza line. So we'll just get right into it. Again, you're listening to Locked on Canucks. Trevor, I don't know if you know this, because because Kyle didn't. I was going to save it for the show. Do you know why they're called the Pizza Line? I can't remember, no. Okay, the West Coast Express, I think a little a little more, you know, geographically centric. We, we realize yeah. that the West Coast, you guys do your thing out there. The Pizza Line, Pizza Pizza was always a big sponsor of the Ottawa Senators. Oh, they had yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. You score five goals, hmm. everybody goes home with a slice. Yeah. They almost went into bankruptcy. <laughs> and Alfie went on a line. They actually raised it to six goals because they were doing it so much. So wow. everybody was yeah. getting their slice of pizza. Basically, if you went to the Sens game, lunch was free the next day. You just take your ticket in to a pizza pizza and you'd get that slice. So, yeah, that's why. And we're, we're petitioning now. And Heatley obviously left on bad terms. Spezza was wearing a, a leaf sweater at the end of his career. And you now know, he works in Pittsburgh. Oh, gross. <laughs> awful stuff there so instead and i mean they probably each deserve individually a spot in the ring of honor in ottawa we want them to just hang a big slice of pizza up there (laughs) represent all three of those so yeah that's the background of the pizza line and i think the difference is maybe the height of the pizza line was a little bit higher with i mean 50 goal scorers on there all the time but i think the sustained success and how long was the west coast express together for yeah, like I would yeah, say, like were, honestly were... speaking, a year and a half. It feels like they were together for maybe like a little bit longer. But I, okay. I, as far as like me going back in time and just reliving those memories where the Canucks were just the ish, like the the best thing in the league, it felt as if it only lasted again a year and a half. The the beginning of o two o three, and then up until the dreadful day oh. in Colorado. You know, it it, yeah. it just felt like that. I think that maybe they formed together the year prior in o one o two for a bit, but. As far as like sustained pressure and being that line and changing the game, it was only a year and a half. So uh, I don't know if Trevor can confirm that, but that's generally what it feels like. Yeah, like they they were put together um, like in the oh one oh two season, but yeah, like they really started to light it up in oh two oh three. Um, so like they're they were kind of making noise. They maybe call it two ish years, like spread over three seasons. Um, but yeah, it was uh, yeah it was you know some time. It w- wasn't enough time really. Uh, with mm. the Bertuzzi thing in the lockout there. Yeah, that sucks that the lockout got in the way too, eh? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It did. So I made the trade to get Danny Heatley during the lockout. I mean, that's yep. kind of a tense moment, too, because Ottawa signed Marion Hosa to an extension, obviously a Hall of Fame player. They would have been just as good keeping him. But then um, they made the trade, and I actually just did the quick math here. And in the 164 games, so the two seasons after the lockout, the trio of Spezza, Alfredson, and Heatley scored 225 goals in 164 yeah. games. Think about that. That's Ridic- nuts. Yeah, they were beating down teams. Like, I remember they were beating the Leafs. Like, they were getting 10 spots on the Leafs. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. Nightly. Yeah. It was crazy. In 05, 06, especially, they were even a deeper team. Like, Martin Havlat was playing the third line in 05, 06. They, had a, they were a complete wagon. They beat the Sabres 10 to 4 one night. I'll never forget it. They had 10 goals and they had three goal scorers. Alfredson had four, Heatley had four, and Havlat had two. Like it was, yeah. they were, they were just dominating teams and it sucks that it only lasted that long. And then they, you know, they played four years all together, but um, after Brian Murray stepped down, God let rest his soul, but they had Corey Clouston and he's like, I'm going to spread out the wealth. So he had Heatley on like the third line. He had Alfredson on the second, had Spets up on the top line playing with like Ryan Shannon, a little Vancouver throwback. Oh yeah. too. And it's like, what are we doing here? And then Heatley put his hand up and said, I'm out. Well, mm-hmm. that was Pizza Pizza calling the sends and being like, guys, <laughs> enough is enough. We can't raise it to seven goals for a slice. Mix up this line for us, please. Big yeah. Pizza got involved, eh? That's, uh, yeah, that's Big Pizza broke up the sends. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that line, man. Like, I was a big Jason Spezza fan, too. And growing up, being so young, I think I was like in grade five or grade six. And just hearing the, the hype on the guy was something else. And I feel as if he lived up to it. He really yeah. did. Like, it's, it's hard to be. Like very few players can be great, great, and at the top of the class for like five plus years, six plus years, seven plus years, ten years, and just to see like the things that he was doing for a couple of years when it comes to like not even just the stats. I'm talking about the individual talent was like mind boggling and made it way more easier to fall in love with the game. And I was talking to uh, Ross and Brandon before Trevor got in here, but Begsy, like I feel as if it really kind of felt as if we went from the West coast express being the best line in hockey to immediately going to the pizza line, being that line. And they carried that torch a bit longer and they did it well, man, for real. They, they were exciting to watch. And over here, we like to, we like to say, and maybe it's because like of what Gretzky said, there's this really good podcast. It's called West, the West coast express. It's, it was hosted by Scott Rintoul. Every hockey fan should listen to it. Just done so well. It's one of the best sports podcasts that I ever listened to, but they had Gretzky on. And I think he alluded to the fact that like these guys changed the game. Did, did you guys feel as if those three Spezza Heatley and uh, Alfie did the same in some way, shape or form? Because I'm not watching a lot of senators games, but I'm watching a lot of highlights. Yeah, yeah, it sucks too because like the year that they broke up was when HD really took off. So like, very <laughs> oh, highlights, man, watching those oh, guys. But dude, I think the beauty of that line, and I always say it, and some people take it out of context that I'm calling Alfie a fourth liner. Like, I'm absolutely not. He's a Hall of Famer, but he played the game like a fourth liner. Ooh. Like he was crashing, bang. He was first on the four check. He was meat and potatoes. You know, he had a ton of skill. His slap shot. He, there's actually like marks in the roof of the Canadian Tire Center because his wind up was so high (laughs) the roof but like they all brought something different like he was the first on the four check guy Spezza was like your classic playmaker putting the puck in the right spot all the time and then Heatley and and this is what people always say about Heatley you could put the puck in his skates behind him in front of him and he'd get a hundred percent on every shot and they just brought such different elements Mm -hmm. they just created magic together and it just sucks that they couldn't have stayed together long enough I think 
and this might be wrong, but they might, they are one of the only lines that were one, two, three in a Stanley cup playoffs in scoring like first, second, third, and the whole league. Like they just, they brought it, man. It was, it was sick. And it's unfortunate because they were all in their primes too. Like they didn't have to be broken up. It was outside circumstances that just allowed it to disintegrate. Mm. Obviously there was like a moment that you could say like, all right, the West coast express got knocked out in a, in a split second moment. Whereas for, for Ottawa, it was like, a deterioration of, and it was the summer of 09 where Heatley's like, no, nah, I'm done. And then it was like, all right, well, that kind of sucks. And it never, like Alfie and Spezza, they had like Colin Greening on their line. And yeah. they had these mm-hmm. other guys, Milan McCulloch came in in that trade for Danny Heatley, but it mm-hmm. just like nobody could recreate the magic that they had. So did they change the game? Maybe not, but they certainly had, had some really fun years where it was like fans, go, you still see, and for a while, it was kind of funny. People would pick off letters from Heatley, the name, and it would spell hate just based on the way he left. But I feel like people are over that now and, and mm-hmm. just kind of like reminiscing. Like there's 200 goals or 250 goal seasons in Sense history. Danny Heatley in 0506, Danny Heatley in 0607. <laughs> like at some point, you just have to look at like the magic that was created. And there's also 300 point seasons in Sense history. Alfie did it once, Heatley, Heatley. And at some point, you're just like, okay, like we got to put mm-hmm. some respect on that as well. So, yeah, it's man, great memories and the highlights are are ridiculous too. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you mentioned with something pretty key there and that was, you know, Alfredson, Spetson, and Heatley finishing uh, you know, 1, 2 and 3 in Stanley Cup playoff scoring. I think that was one of you know, it was the big regret of the West Coast Express era that, you know, that team couldn't get past the second round and obviously when they, the closest they got was in 03 uh, when they're up 3-1 on the, you know, Cinderella Minnesota wild coach by Jacques Lemaire just entered the league and Bertuzzi has that uh quote reportedly where he basically told them that Canucks were going to win told them to go golfing and whatever and of course the wild come back and win that series but you know I, I will say this in terms of why I think the West Coast Express might be even better than the pizza line would have been it's just the errors they played in right the West Coast Express was doing this in the dead puck era yeah. when almost no one was scoring goals, okay? Like, you look at 0203, there was 2.65 goals scored a game. 0304, 2.57 goals per game. You go to 0506, there's over three goals scored per game. Like, the, the, the game changed when the pizza, uh, the pizza line was, you know, doing their thing. So, yeah. you know, both lines, I think, you know, Kyle mentioned it, like two of the most impressive lines of the 2000s, arguably the two best lines of the 2000s. But the fact that the West Coast Express line did what they did during the dead puck era when no one was scoring and no one was playing that way, to mm-hmm. me, is, is mind-boggling. And I think, you know, Gretzky hit it on the head. Like, that line did change the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. 104 points for, for Naslin there that year before the lockout. It's pretty pretty absurd. And, and you know, having two guys that were that close, right? For Like I said, with Ottawa, it was like one was the goal scorer, one was the playmaker, and Alfie was like a bit of everything, that all-around talent, whereas, like, you look and it's just like two goals separating Naslin and Bertuzzi in that, that final year. Like, man, they could all bring it. And that's, that's what makes it so dangerous too. Right. Mm-hmm. And the year before where it was 40 and 36, like you had two goal scorers on that line that were pretty much uh, toe and toe or neck and neck right there. So no, I see arguments for both. And, and like you said, like, even though he had 50 goals, like he didn't win the, the Maurice Richard trophy. Cause I think Iggy had 56 that yeah. year. And that was the year where Joe Thornton became the only player to win the MVP playing on two teams in one season. They get 120 between Boston and, uh, and San Jose there. So yeah, I think maybe in terms of historical significance, you're like, okay, like, yeah, they were at the top of their game where nobody else was. Whereas for Ottawa, it was just the fact that all three of them were doing it in such different ways that mm-hmm. made it so capsulating. And 
the fact that on the back end, they had Dominic Hasek in net for half the season before he pulled the shoot. They had Zidane Chara back there. Like the Senders were just a dominant team top to bottom. Mm-hmm. The leaders of such a great team that they get the more shine for that too. Dude, I feel like I could name like four of their defensemen. Wade Redden, Zidane Chara. Mike Van Ryan, was that a guy too? Like, I don't know if that he was around that time. Am I right no, on that? No, it was Wade Redden and Chris Phillips. Chris and, Phillips. Uh, Anton Volchenko. Blocking shots. One last note before we get out of here. Like, it's super, like, I didn't know. I'm just a petty, petty hockey fan. Like, if since the Canucks were really good back in the day, if when they were booted out, I'd be so emotional that I'm not watching the rest of like rest of the playoffs. Betsy knows that about me. Like when the Packers get booted out, I'm not watching the Super Bowl. I'm not watching all these great wow. games. Like I get too emotional. So I didn't even know that Spezza, Heatley, and Alfredson were that good in the playoffs. Like 06, that good. They, if it weren't they were, like nobody was beating Anaheim in 06, 07. No. Nobody was beating them. Pronger and Edemeyer. Like, what are you doing? And then they even had uh, Francois Beauchemin would just be like the eight. Like he was yeah. their, their version of Volchenkov. He'd eat pucks. The three of them played 35, 40 minutes yeah. a night. And then they just rotate in. You know, us <laughs> kids would play five minutes. It was ridiculous. Has, yeah. But that third line they had just shut down Ottawa. It was Sammy Paulson, Travis Rowan, and Rob Niedermeyer. Yeah. And they just, sh- they put a blanket over Ottawa in the playoffs there. And it didn't help not to get too into it. But like Ottawa beat every series that year was five games. They beat Pittsburgh in five. They beat New Jersey uh, in five, and they beat Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo in five as well. And then they lost in five, but mm. they had two and a half weeks off. It's just like yeah. before the Stanley Cup final, Too and it's, up, it's the rest oh. versus. So, but yeah, that hurts, one, man. And yo, one, two, three in league scoring with, as I said, five game series one after another. Dude, like, that's crazy. That's that's yeah. one thing Bertuzzi, Naslin, and Morrison couldn't do in the playoffs. Like, I'm not gonna call them like playoff performers, like I feel as if they did the bare minimum when they got in, like they didn't elevate their game slash keep up to, with their regular season pace. So maybe that can give them that, give them the edge and like playoff performance does matter. And just to, I guess, end things on this note, it's again, the reason why I think that if the Canucks do get into the playoffs, they can make some noise because their best players, they've only proved it once in the fake playoffs, dude, they were the best play. Like they really showed up in four franchise that have watched a lot of teams make the playoffs. I think it's safe to say that, our best offensive players, whether it be like uh, the the Sedins or Marcus Naz and Bertuzzi and Morrison, like it, it took the Sedins a while to like be able to put up points in the playoffs. Yeah, and for Pedersen and Hughes, like for them to do it right away was something else. But uh, uh, anyways, like I could we could we could talk hockey forever. We could talk hockey forever. You're going through we're going through memory lane. I got a meeting in an hour. Uh, we just like to say thank you, man. Thank you for all your help. Uh, during our rookie season. I guess this might be our rookie season this season. Oh, uh, last with, year you were just out of college, right? You yeah. Have, you burn the year, but you're not really. You know, you're still up for the call yeah. this year, fellas. Yeah, this this is the year that we can, we can win the call there. Maybe, maybe. Who knows? We just got to do our oh, best. Yeah. And uh, I think it was easier to, like, just hop into everything locked on because, of, again, the, uh, the guidance that you guys gave and that one meeting we had with Ross when you took your time to just talk to us. And that really meant a lot for us. And, uh I just want to share that to the listeners because it's important stuff, man. It really is. And not that uh, not that this is going to be the end of it either. The Senators and Canucks meet in the nation's capital on November 9th. November 9th, and then they're back in Vancouver January 2nd. Pilsy and I just keep saying, like, we, we're doing the road trip where it's like yeah. Seattle, Vancouver. Hey. Right at Christmas time? Like, come on. So next season – we're going to be out there, and maybe we'll do a live show in person too. But we're yeah. doing crossover stuff November 9th, either okay. before or after that game. Cool. Because we're all 
Beautiful stuff, man. You guys are a couple of beauties, and uh, I'm looking forward to the live show at the Don't Doze Studios there, Kyle. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, great, great conversation. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the Canucks and Senators uh, meeting in the 2026 Stanley Cup final with the Canucks Ooh. winning in, se- in seven games because Demko's stealing the show, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Maybe we'll give you the hypothetical one. We don't want anyone to get too carried away here. Game seven, Stanley Cup final. I know everybody freezes there, but – I don't like Ottawa's chances. Ottawa's actually one of the only franchises that has never won a game seven. Oh, and six. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll clean that series up in five then, eh, Ross? <laughs> How about that? Yeah. We do. <laughs> Fellas, that was a lot of fun, man. Everyone make sure you subscribe. Locked on Canucks, locked on yes. Senators. It's going to be an absolute blast of a season. Trevor, take us out with some energy. Hey, you know, shout out to the everydayers of our programs or the occasional listeners. And if this is your first time listening, I don't know why you tuned in. You must be a Canucks fan, maybe a Sens fan, but we appreciate you being here. It's a beautiful time of year, okay? Training camps are underway. Preseason around the corner. And before you know it, bam, snap of the fingers. It's regular season hockey, baby. So make sure you stay tuned to Locked On Canucks and Locked On Centers. But for now, I'm Trevor Beggs. That guy's Cal Bowen. That guy's Brandon Piller. That guy's Ross Levitin. And you've been listening to the crossover episode, baby.